This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. Bienvenidos a Better Late Than Never. This is a movie podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster, a cult favorite, or an otherwise culturally significant película that they've never seen before. After we watch that movie, my guest will decide if it was better late that they've been missing out by not having seen the film, or never. The movie just didn't live up to the hype for them. My name is Dave, and I'm your host, and this week I am joined through the magic of cyberspace by returning guest Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing across this coronavirus-battered wasteland? Uh, I mean, I'm hanging in there. Thanks for asking. Thanks for having me, virtually. Oh, it is my pleasure. Well, anyway, this week we're watching a movie that you've never seen before, Aaron, and that movie is called All About My Mother from 1999. Woo! Yeah, woo. From 1999, okay. That was a question. I actually did not know when the time was, uh, what when the movie was filmed, so thank you for that spoiler. Spoiler alert. Yeah, but seriously, uh, how's shit out in the out in corona world? It's, uh, it's gray. Mm. It's dark. It's empty. Well, hopefully this film will bring a little bit of uh, color, a little bit of zest, a little bit of joy into your life. I hope so, yeah. So, Aaron, All About My Mother, speaking of the film All About My Mother and how much joy you're going to take from it, uh, had you ever heard of this film? No, and every time you say All About My Mother, all I can think of is Before I Met Your Mother. How I Met Your the Mother. The TV, How I Met Your Mother, thank you. Um, Clearly not a fan of that of. show either, then. <laughs> I've seen a few. Mm-hmm. Who's your favorite character? The, um, what's his name? Uh-huh. You know, the guy yeah. that likes to get the girls, but in real life he's gay. Uh-huh. Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. He's like a really cool bro. Totally. Or something. Totally. Who's your favorite character? Willow. Okay, but she's not Willow. She is. She's always show. Willow. She's only Willow. No, she's not a lesbian witch in this series. Uh, she's just in hiding. She, that's just. Her, she's just in deep cover. That's how I spun it to myself. Okay. Buffy's missing. So she's waiting for her to come back, and that's that's how she's hiding. Anyway, so you don't know anything about this movie, huh? I only. I I know very little. Um, well, what, about everything about the director. What do you um, got? All I know is that I think it's about um, a trans person. Mm-hmm. 
And that's literally it. I'm assuming that person is the mother from the title. Okay. Uh, and that's that's it. That's really like all I got. You mentioned the director. Do you have any idea who that might be? I swear I knew this before coming on. Uh, I can't think of his name now, though. Do you want to consult notes or anything like that? Yeah, that would be great. Uh, or you could just tell me. Not going to tell me? No. Great. Um, Pedro Almodovar. Yeah, Pedro Almodovar. That's the one. That's the guy. That's the guy. That's the guy. That's the guy. Had you ever heard of this dude? Um, I've definitely heard his name, but I've never seen any of his work. Oh, all right. What have you heard about him? Um, that he is kind of eccentric. Mm-hmm. I really haven't heard that much. I've really just heard the name. Okay. This is a really big blind spot for me, to be honest. Well, that kind of puts me on a bit of a, a sidetrack. So, Aaron, as you may have gathered, this is a foreign film mm-hmm. that uh, even leaked into my intro a little bit, which I don't know if you noticed, featured a uh-huh. smattering of Espanol. I uh, I didn't notice. I'm sorry if I confused you with those foreign words, <laughs> but uh, there, there was some... Uh, some some foreign language skills put to work during my intro this week. Um, I'm sure you were very excited to show off those skills. Oh, yeah, they're sharp. But so anyway, <laughs> this is a Spanish film. Spoiler alert. Uh, what's your deal with foreign films, Erin? You you into that shit? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I've seen my I've seen a few foreign films here and there. Um, I've really never seen any Spanish foreign films, though. Hmm. So what's what's more of your market? Korean? Well, yeah, there's obviously there's the Korean foreign films. They're kind of um, really coming up in the foreign film world at the moment, obviously, with Parasite. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, Japanese sure. foreign films, you know, those horror flicks. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, um, even Mexican audition. foreign films. Oh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, you I know. bet you did. There was a run there where uh, Best Director was going to one of the three amigos, uh, Guillermo del Toro, Alejandro Iñárritu, and uh, Alfonso Cuarón. Yes. Yeah, didn't they win like three, like four years out of six for a while yes, there? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. They, they, they're definitely, they definitely had a good run. I mean, I've seen Three Amigos. Does that count for anything? No, it does not. <laughs> of course it does not. Um, okay, so not really that familiar with Spanish films. Well, having not yeah, seen any Spanish today. films or any Pedro Almodovar films, I mean, what are you uh, what are you anticipating here? What do you think you're in for? It's really hard for me to say because I honestly I I'm really blind on this one. I really have no idea. For some reason, I don't know why. I kind of uh, picture him. I don't know why, like a, like a Roger Waters or what's his name? Yeah, that's his name. Um, yeah, for some reason I picture it like that, kind of like that, especially in that like 80s, 90s time period. Um, but I really have no basis for that. I don't really know. I think I just associate like eccentric, that time period. That's all I can think of. Okay. So again, I'm yeah, I'm really blind on this one. Okay, okay. Um, do you have any idea? So you have no idea who the actors are, I'm assuming. I do not. Do you Do you have any sense of the reputation of this film? Had you even heard of it before I brought it up? I had not heard of it before you brought it up. But you had heard of Pedro Almodovar. 
Yes. Okay. I just have heard the name. Any kind of reputation? No, like I said, I, I just, I, I don't, I have no idea. I'm totally blind. Okay. I'm assuming he, I mean, it seems like he's talking about, um, like, issues of sexuality and gender, so perhaps that's his deal. Maybe that's a thing he does. That's fair. Totally fair. Well, this is a little unusual in that um, th- with this movie, obviously, you don't have much of a sense of the film. And, you know, you very clearly didn't pick this movie for yourself. I picked it for you. And that makes this one unusual. And the reason why we're breaking format in this way is for this reason. It is because, Aaron, I have a prediction. Now, I have, of course, seen this film already. So my prediction for when we come back for part two is that when we come back to discuss this, this will have become your favorite film. <laughs> wow. Yep. Okay. Putting it Specifically on, me? Putting it on the line. Yes, specifically you. I am I'm laying down a wager that you are going to love this movie. Not just love but it will be your favorite film. That is a really bold uh, a really bold claim. I know. Really bold prediction. I know. I mean, that makes me quite excited to see the movie. But you should be. Dave. You should be. You know, I have a, kind of a reputation of disappointing you that, <laughs> with this podcast. That is the first adjective uh, I come up with whenever <laughs> I think of you as disappointing. Yes. but um, Yeah, great. You know, I, I I'm I'm standing by it. I think I think you're really gonna like it a lot. Okay. Don't fuck this up for me, Aaron. Don't let me down. <laughs> no, but um, th- I really this hope is a I good like film. It. Um, I'm I'm pretty confident in it. So, that being my uh my big bet, I think we're pretty much ready to go watch this. Okay. You have anything All else right. you want to get down on record before we uh check it out? No, I mean, like the most of any movie I've done for this podcast, I really know the least. So I think in this case, really that's not... good. The, I think the okay. less you know about it, the better this time. And I, I really tried to preserve the little, like really preserve myself. Um, I, didn't, I didn't do any research. I didn't. Yeah, good. You know, this time I avoided this, spoilers. For this, so. for this one, I'm going to say good. Yeah, great. All right. Well, in that case, uh, I guess I'll catch you on the flip side. Or as they say in Spain, hasta luego. Oh, my God. Let's go watch How I Met Your Mother. Woo! Yeah! Okay, and so welcome back to the most cursed episode we have ever done. I don't even know where to start. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. We'll get into that, though. Um, Hey, Aaron, did you like the movie? Hey, um, I did like the movie. I liked it a lot. Oh, good. Was it your favorite movie of all time? 
Hey, it was not Dave. It wasn't uh, my favorite movie of all time, which we've discussed already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious to know. I feel a little bit um, like you've created a narrative for me in which I am some sort of man hater and only like uh, movies about women and women's stories. Well, you do only like movies about women and women's stories. Also, big fan of hating men, I feel like. So, you know, there's both the pro-women, anti-men. Like, there's two different two different channels there. They're complementary, though. <sighs> Listener, that's not an accurate portrayal of who I am as a person. That's that's not those are not roles that I play. <laughs> oh my god. Also things we will be talking about. Yeah, so let's get into um a little bit of meta stuff uh for this episode. Um so listeners, time to get a little spooky because this podcast is cursed. We should um, be doing this at Halloween. We should. Um number one, I don't think We've ever had so much time elapse in between part one of a podcast and part two. We recorded part one, I think it was like a couple of months ago. It feels like a lifetime. I mean, it feels like it's definitely been years or days. I don't know. Time is meaningless now. Yeah, it, it no longer is absolutely a construct without meaning anymore. But it was, it was a long, long time ago. And then events conspired to us just like never getting things together to actually watch the film and talk about it. But then we actually finally did. And um, events conspired to make the entire recording of our conversation worthless. And so for the very first time on this podcast, we are re-recording our conversation about the movie. So Aaron, for everything that comes up during the course of this conversation, try and act surprised. I'll do my best. Yeah. I'll do my um, best. And I will cop to it being entirely my fault. I'm super sorry about that. Thank you for being such a good sport about coming back and talking about um, all about my mother again. That's, that's fine. I'm, you know, I, I'll, I do what I can. Mm. Another little bit of uh, meta stuff, some housekeeping. Um, because Erin... We took so long to get our shit together and record this episode. You have managed to once again be the guest for the season finale episode of Better Late Than Never. What? I'm so shocked to be hearing this news. I know. What a surprise. <laughs> what a completely out of left field thing to have happen. Um, um, I want to say that I did it on purpose. So let's just go with that. This has all been okay. an elaborate plan because I wanted to be um, on the season finale again. Well, thanks to your uh, machinations, here you are, season finale of season two. Congratulations. You've Thank made you it. Thank you so much. Two years. Two years Honored. in business. It's pretty incredible. Is there a sequel to All About My Mother or like a remake that we can do for, for next time? It's called uh, Mother 2 Spanish Boogaloo. <laughs> and right. uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Okay, in, great. Uh, in, in, in the end of uh, this episode. It's, it's pretty crazy. But um, yeah, so um, there will be, of course, more episodes and a season three. And just like how in the jump from season one to season two, there was a bit of a um, 
shift in terms of the theme of things and how I was approaching the choices of what was covered. There will similarly be a slight shift in terms of the stuff that I'm picking or having the guests pick in terms of what gets covered in terms of topics uh, for the pod. So there will be a, a season three announcement with, you know, information on that coming out soon. So uh, to all of the fan out there, keep your eyes peeled for uh, information on that because it's coming soon. All very exciting stuff. Yeah, I know. All of the uh, one person out there listening will be very excited to hear it, I'm sure. So, yeah, with that out of the way, let's talk about all about my moms, yo. Yeah. That was Elma Dover's original title for the film. All about, oh, all about my moms, yo. Wouldn't that be like all about my mom, I, in Spanish? Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious. I'm, I mean, I feel like I know why you said that this was going to be my favorite movie. And I think that is because it is a story about women. Is that correct, Dave? Is that why you thought this would be my favorite movie? I mean, do you want the jokey answer or the serious answer? I don't know, man. The jokey answer is like, duh. <laughs> it's all about chicks. And, and you <sighs> hate men and you love chicks. Stereotype me. Stop yeah. typecasting me. You hate men. You love ladies. It's a movie about ladies. So, of course, you're going to love it. You're just always going to make me pay for thinking Lord of the Rings is boring. You what it think comes down Lord to. of the Rings is boring? Ugh, we've been over this. He, here's the thing. You know, I, I, I tease and I make fun about how you hate men and only like women. And obviously that's completely true. But I, I think <clears throat> one of the reasons why I thought you would be attracted to Almodovar as a filmmaker is because um, Almodovar is someone who has always been attracted to society's outsiders as his subjects. So, and we'll get a, a little bit into why when we get into the background in terms of the art scene that he came out of. But he's always someone who makes movies about, you know, drug users, uh, sex workers, trans people, and even women who are, you know, chronically un- underrepresented in film and in you know the stories coming out of Hollywood and that I feel like was kind of your thing a little bit in terms of what you're into in films yeah I agree with all that well you liked it at least right yeah I liked it very much well okay at least I got that much I don't know I think you're gonna think about it and you're gonna come back to it in 10 years and you're gonna watch it again and you're gonna be like holy shit Dave was right. I fucking love this movie. I did um, enjoy rewatching it again because this podcast, the first part of this podcast was recorded like four years ago. Um, so in my rewatch of it, I did enjoy it even more than I did the first time. Yeah. See, I think, I think the more it might be, it might be, it might grow on me the more I watch it. I think it will. There's a lot that I like. And I think, too, like, Almodovar's a strong tea. You know, he's a really powerful flavor. So I think the more you get exposed to him and his particular style, the more you're going to learn to sort of, like, vibe with it Mm. and um, get used to it. And so you might see a few more of his films and uh, kind of get used to him. And then maybe you'll start to 
pick out which of his favorites, which of his films are your favorites. And then you might come back to this one and either it will be your favorite of his or your favorite film of all time or whatever. But like, you know, <laughs> fair might, enough. Well, I'll keep might you. work. Speaking of Pedro Almodovar, let's talk about that background I uh, alluded to a second ago. So I don't know if this is going to surprise you, Aaron, but um, <laughs> there's some history to Pedro Almodovar. Is that right? Yeah. Do you actually, you know, since you've heard this before, would you like to give the the history history part here? Oh no, I think I I think you're the history major. You love history. It's your podcast. I don't want to steal your thunder. Thank you. Um, okay, so it all starts way <laughs> back in 1624 with the birth of a child named... No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, all right. So for the longest time, Spain is under a dictatorship, the, the dictatorship of the fascist Francisco Franco, Right. Um, if you've seen Pan's Labyrinth, he's the dictator who's ruling the country during that movie. So Franco was extremely conservative. Obviously, he was a fascist. But in particular, he was very uh, socially conservative and very socially repressive. Part of his uh, re- uh, part of the core idea behind his regime was having a very close association with the Catholic Church. And so uh, social mores were very uh, restrictive. Uh, under the Franco regime. And so what that led to was a very repressive society. And so once Franco dies in 1975, Spain starts to move towards being a democracy and starts to open up. And once that happens, in the late 70s and moving into the 80s, there is this huge explosion of pent-up cultural energy economic energy, you know, democratizing energy, all kinds of, basically Spain just, all everything that was penned up during Franco, it all just blows up. And so all of this uh, cooped up energy, you know, artistic, sexual, social, economic energy comes pouring out. And what is most commonly called is La Movida or La Movida Madrileña because it was mostly focused in Madrid. And it was this huge scene. It was a huge art scene, a huge drug scene, a huge, um, you know, uh, nightclub scene. Just like everything was going on and happening, especially and in Madrid. I'm sorry. And, and this was what, I'm sorry, what year was this? Like around, there's like late 70s, early 80s? Late 70s, early 80s, yeah. That's interesting. I feel like this movie could take place in that time. Um, and a lot of Almodovar movies do. But yes, yeah, stylistically, you you do see, I mean, to Americanize a lot of the style, I think, maybe does look kind of like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But so, um, you know, so long, long story short, a lot of art comes out of La Movida and, um, you know, the, 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 you know, it's reflective of the scene that it comes out of. There's you know, a lot of hedonism, drugs, gay culture, all reflected in the art. And probably the most iconic representative of this art scene is Pedro Almodovar. So he is the artist, you can, I think, pretty easily say most associated with La Movida. And uh, he's got a huge filmography. He is incredibly prolific, tons of movies. 
some of the more prominent ones, you've got Laws of Desire, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Um, in his later career, you've got this movie. Um, you've got Talk to Her, Volver. And then you've got a few things about him that people often point to as his like hallmarks because he is an auteur. He's someone who is very um, specific yeah, in his stylistic has, hallmarks. You, it feels like he... You, if you see his movie, you know it's him, kind of. Situation. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's got he's got a creative stamp, mm-hmm. you know, an mo. Uh, so he he really likes bold colors. He likes uh, a lot of transgressive themes and imagery. So there's always a lot of sexuality and sex in his movies. A lot of drug use, kind of you know, going off of what I just said about you know the artistic his artistic origins. There tends to also be uh, a lot of violence and crime in his films mm-hmm. and a lot of bodily harm and injuries inflicted on people. I think well, I've also one... noticed um kind of weirdly a lot of car crashes in his Interesting. movies. Interesting. Well, aside from the last, Oh no, no, no. Include obviously including this movie. Yep. Um, this movie is no exception to any of those. Yeah. And um, I think uh, one of the things he's most known for is he really likes to work with women. Uh, he has, uh, throughout his career, worked with a bunch of specific women repeatedly, and they tend to, to get to be known as Almodovar girls. So um, some of the most prominent ones, there is Cecilia Roth in this movie who plays uh, the lead, Manuela. She's considered an Almodovar girl, but probably the most prominent one is Carmen Maura, who's in um, Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. And then, of course, also uh, Penelope Cruz, who is in this movie, is also an Almodovar girl because she's mm-hmm. been in several of his films, including uh, this and Volver and on and on. He's also worked with Antonio Banderas a bunch of times. Interesting. He get, Antonio Banderas is like the one guy that he's willing to let into his harem, so to speak. I guess so. It's interesting. Yeah, and... Uh, they do good work together. I don't know. I don't really know much about Antonio Banderas. Is he no. any good? Yes. All right. Try um try Laws of Desire if you want All to right. see a ridiculously young Antonio Banderas. Let's talk about the cast a little bit since we were talking about Almodovar girls. Let's talk about some of these some of these girls. Oh, All right. Yeah, let's talk about some of these girls for a minute. Dave, Dave, Dave. I want to want to have a nice conversation about some of these girls. That's exactly okay. how I think Almodovar talks about his casts. He's not interested in women like to date, right? No, he is not. Okay, I just wanted to clear. I wanted to make sure. I had a, I had a feeling, but did you see this movie, Aaron? Yeah. Okay. I just I didn't want to assume. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. We've got the cast. Uh, Cecilia Roth played Manuela. She is, uh, I mean, so yeah, she is the mother in All About My Mother, I suppose. Um, yeah. Although I believe I predicted that the woman would be trans. That's also kind of true. One of his parents is trans, a trans female. Yes. Um, but she is but Cecilia Roth is the mother yeah. featured in All About My Mother. 
Yeah, I mean, she is she is the mother who is the subject of the title. I mean, I feel like uh, most of the movie just are all the women that she is maternal to, that it, she's the center, the central mother figure. Yeah. Among so the many motherly. other, uh, of course, roles she plays, which is a huge central theme of the movie and also where the title comes from. Yeah, and she's good. Yeah, she's she's awesome. Marissa Paredes as Huma Rojo, the actress. She um, was such, I mean, before it, it's even mentioned, I when I saw her, I was like, oh my God, she's such a Betty Davis type. Really? And then, yes, That's and funny. then um, having seen All About Eve, I mean, it's like just so, that there's so many parallels. I haven't um, seen All About Eve. Well, I would definitely want to speak to that at some point. Okay. Yeah, I, that's a blind spot for me. And I don't, Betty Davis is kind of a blind spot for me, so I, I couldn't really see the parallels. I've been My, geeking thing, out on her a lot recently. She's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's what I hear. But um, the thing that I notice about uh, the character of Humoroho is that um, I kind of start off the movie really not liking her because she doesn't give the kid the autograph and just sort of like brushes him off and that's basically why he dies but then right. she turns out to be pretty cool like so cool yeah She's so like just the nicest and that's a tough trick to pull you know to to reverse uh first impression like that such a negative sure. first impression well i mean she was more concerned with her like terrible junky girlfriend so nina god nina sucks yes Antonia San Juan played a grotto. My fave. Love I a grotto. Sort of thought you would. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. She was definitely my favorite character. Yeah. A grotto is cool. But then there's my fave, Penelope Cruz playing Rosa. Um, so we did discuss this a little bit before. At first, I was kind of like, meh. But you kind of convinced me, you, you kind of highlighted her. Um, the child, the child's like role she's playing and how she really encompassed that sort of innocence um, in her role. And uh, now I, I think she, I, you know, with that in mind, I think she did a good job. Yeah, Penelope Cruz is very good in this. You know, um, we'll we'll talk about that again when the scene comes up. But there's um, there's a way in which I think you could sort of dismiss her performance in this as not that impressive um if you're not paying attention but i think if you look closely she's actually doing something very specific that is uh you know actually pretty good so right. uh, i'll i'll as with the uh the first time we went through this i'll bring it up when the scene comes up that i like to uh <laughs> that i think is a good example of it so let's talk about the actual movie yes again yes what should we talk about first dave what do you think well, I want to point out once again that the movie, the title opens that this is Un Film de Almodovar, and he's the kind of guy who gets away with doing that sort of thing because he's just that cool. He's an auteur, you see. Should I, like, count how many times you say the word auteur during this shot. podcast? I think we're at, like, 15 now. Auteur. He said it again. Drink. 
you want to talk about the rest of the movie or you want to just I'm just saying it's pretty cool the- to be on that level, you know. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we meet Manuela. She works in the transplant department. She sure does. She she she's just great at everything. Yeah, she is good at everything. She's such a Mary Sue. Um, and we meet her creepy son, Esteban. Oh my God, he is so creepy. <laughs> so, do you want to talk about this, Aaron? Um, I do, like, so much. Well, he, why don't we? He tells No, no, no wait. His, uh, no, no, go ahead. Please, go ahead. Let me just uh, take out my creepy son notes. It's a lot here. By all means. I'm sorry, but, like, within the first, like, five minutes, he tells his mom she needs a big dick. She tells, yeah, so he tells her mom, I'm sorry, he tells his mom that she needs a big dick and asks if she would prostitute for him. Mommy, would you whore yourself for me? The first time we see him, he's watching that just bizarre baby commercial, just staring at it like empty and like like he looks like he has nothing behind his eyes. Um, and it's just kind of a weird thing to focus on. Uh, we, I mean... Once it's especially finish- interesting given that later on in the movie, he will literally be replaced by a baby. Well, exactly. So, I mean, once you finish the movie, you're like, oh, that was just sort of a foreshadowy kind of way to start, way to introduce him. But yeah, he is just so creepy. <laughs> Look, they have a creepily quasi-incestuous relationship. Oh, he also says, oh, um... A boy who lives alone with his mother has a special look. Like, what? Dude, I... It's... He's he's a strange... He's a strange boy. Yeah, the nature of their relationship just seems to be a little... a little close. Yeah. The, the question about whether she would whore herself for him is just not one that it would occur to me to ask my own mother. Yeah. I probably also wouldn't tell my mom she needs a big dick. Uh, we see this training class where Manuela teaches two doctors how best to tell someone that one of their loved ones has now died. And she does yes. a really good job. Also, I mean, another moment of foreshadowing. It's fucking hilarious when they come back. (laughs) Because, I don't know, the first time I saw this movie, when they come back (laughs) and, like, look at her and, like, pull up the chair, I just started (laughs) laughing so hard. (laughs) It's funny. She taught them how to do this. I don't know. I understand how that's funny, Dave. It's fucking funny. Come on. Hi. Um, but afterwards, they go to see a streetcar named Desire. I, I wanted to mention, too, um, there's a lot of art in this movie, and all of it is, you know, either art by uh, gay artists like Streetcar, or at some point they, they read an excerpt from a Truman Tr- Capote story, or, um, you know, you've got like Betty Davis, who's a queer icon, you know, that kind of thing, which is cool, but. 
I really like about their trip to go see Streetcar is the rainbow umbrella. I was, I literally have that in my notes. It's um, one of many of, first of all, this movie is just the colors are so 60s psychedelic colors. And it almost. I feel like it's got more of like an 80s like mod look. I don't know. I Her standing like in front of the, um, the that umbrella, in front of the poster of Huma's face. I also wanted to call out that scene. Um, absolutely. I feel like the colors are kind of like, um, I don't know, like 60s. Like to, uh, That's how I interpreted them. Like you could almost picture this movie being filmed, like taking place in the 60s with a bit of an 80s flair. Definitely not the 90s though. Um, but that umbrella, I mean, it just looks like it's straight from The Prisoner. Have you ever seen that show? Uh, I haven't s- sat and watched it. I've seen a lot of clips from it. Wow, just Dave, of... you're losing. You're losing losing some cred here. Really, Never seen I've the heard prisoner? it's not great as a straight watch. It's like it's fantastic. You should watch it. You're the only person who's told me that it's actually fantastic. I loved it. Hmm. Those umbrellas, though. Uh, I mean, that that umbrella is the thing I most associate with this film. Really? The rainbow umbrella, yeah. I mean, it definitely stands out. Yeah, I love it. It's probably my favorite image from the whole movie, is her standing. I mean, I also umbrella. really enjoy the image of her standing next to Huma. There's just so much, like, pops of red. It seems yeah. that red is sort of like the representing kind of femininity in general throughout this movie. Um, Almodovar is great with bold colors. Yes, so many bold colors in this. Can you imagine having your face blown up to that proportion, like on a poster? I personally would rather not. (laughs) Not that I don't have great skin, but I'm just a little shy. Mm -hmm. Um, She saves her son from getting run over by a car, but it doesn't work because he tries to get an autograph from Huma Rojo, the star of Streetcar Named Desire, and gets his ass run the fuck over. Um, Much like a lot of this movie, there's a lot of foreshadowing and nods to things that are going to happen again. Um, And that was was one. A lot of... um, When he almost gets hit going into the theater. Repetition of things in this film. Lots of loops. Lots More of loops, loops and looper. Um, just with this, well, looper. Um, I can't believe, I think this is the second time we've brought up the movie Looper in a podcast, by the way. I feel like that's too many times to bring up the movie Lo- Looper, which is not a very good movie. Yeah, movie sucks. Um, so <laughs> anyways, uh, yeah. I mean, he was like running after her in a, quite a, I don't know, a little bit of a scary way. Like a dumbass. And of course, that was also foreshadowing. I mean, at this point, we've had like several foreshadows already. Well, is it like, is it foreshadowing or is it like callbacks and repetition? Well, there's certainly a lot of that too. This movie is all about the main character having to... You know, like loops. Yeah, having to constantly kind of play like act these roles that she ends up living right because you know you have her like looping you know her life loop of like going to barcelona and fleeing with the baby and going back to barcelona and and, you know like her life just it i mean you could, could call certain things foreshadowing but there's also just like a lot of like 
Well, in this case, the foreshadowing being that um, she likes is like you know the the dumbass kid is crossing the street and almost gets hit, and she's like, "Be careful! Look where you're going!" Oh my God, maybe maybe second Esteban is also going to be a dumbass. Oh no! So anyway, uh, they donate his organs. Yes. Um. Oh, because he because he's dead. Right. Because yes. he dies. Yeah, he dies. Um, Did you see that coming, by the way? Was that a surprise to you watching this for the first time? That was totally a surprise to me. I thought that dumbass kid was going to be like in the whole movie, like narrating it. I thought the movie was going to be about him for some reason, even though it's not called all about. It must have been such a relief to you then that he dies (laughs) off and the movie is just about Manuela. I mean, yeah, I was so relieved. It it certainly removes the uh, the risk that there would be an incest subplot. God, we do start getting his voiceover a little bit, and we get the title because uh, all about my mother is the journal he was working on. Mm-hmm. Manuela, meanwhile, we're now jumping forward in time a little bit. A lot of time jumps in this movie, kind of like that movie Looper. Um, like Looper. <laughs> Um, Manuela decides that she's kind of starting to crack up a little bit. So she decides to leave Madrid and go to Barcelona to find Esteban's father. Um, but this does bring me to bring us to, I think one of my favorite scenes. Tell me about it. Just when they get to, when she is in the taxi and they're driving to the like car, sex, drug, hangout park. Um, I thought it was just so beautifully shot. My favorite shot in the whole movie by far is the two prostitutes playing patty cake in the street. I love that shot. I think it's beautiful and playful and just, um, I loved it. Yeah. And the cars, uh, the cars shot where in the hooker hangout spot is actually kind of a famous one from this movie too. Mm. I just think it's interesting that, um, I know she's going to this area on purpose. She gets dropped off in a rather unsavory part of town where all the hookers hang out. But she gets out of the car, and immediately the first thing she sees is a hooker getting assaulted. Well, it was yeah. it, it was more that she was driving with the taxi driver and saying, like, keep going. She was specifically looking, and then she sees the woman getting assaulted and then tells the taxi driver to pull over as this woman's getting assaulted and he like immediately drives away. I'm like, cool guy. That's, that's cool. Mm, um, and like yeah. abandons her to like fight off this, this man. Yeah. It's a dick move. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, it's, I was going to say she, she helps the hooker fight the guy off and then the hooker happens to be a grotto who she knows and I'm like, what? There's definitely a few uh, overly convenient points in this movie that I will mention later as well. But yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's like, oh, so you break up this fight and the hooker's like, oh, Manuela, I see you're back after ditching <laughs> me 18 years ago. And I'm like, what? Yeah. 18 years ago? What? Yeah. You know, seems really lucky but at the same time you know i guess she just figured her friend would be in the exact same place 
these these sort of things you kind of just have to accept in an Almodovar movie. That's the kind of thing that comes up. They they, they just happen. He's an auteur. I'm honestly fine with it. If he's an auteur. Okay. Yeah. Uh, All right. God. They uh so. <laughs> Manuela is, of course, Manuela is a total Mary Sue and is a nurse. So, will you she, stop uh, calling her a Mary Sue? I'm joking. <laughs> Are you? Not at all. She sucks. Oh my god. So, Manuela patches a grotto up, and uh, they start talking about uh, Manuela's son was named Esteban. They start talking about Esteban a little bit, and Esteban's father, who is trans and goes by Lola, and Sounds like Lola is kind of a piece of shit. A super dick. Yeah, kind of a dick, a thief, and a user of people. Yes. Uh, Lola has stolen basically like everything a grotto has and just fucking taken off. And that's basically where things are at with Lola and with a grotto at the moment. So. Manuel is there to find Lola because she, I mean, she doesn't really have a plan. Her whole plan in coming to Barcelona was like, I want to tell Lola about Esteban. So they're going to try and find Lola. The, they don't really know how to do this, but Agrado suggests they go visit some nuns. The nuns run a shelter or a, you know, kind of like a social workplace for people who need help. And they go and... They meet Penelope Cruz. Yay. Hooray. She's like a nun or something. Yeah, she's like a nun or something. She's like a nun or something. Maybe she can help them find Lola. Oh, yeah. You know. Uh, Penelope Cruz, who is Sister Rosa, she confirms that Lola is kind of a piece of shit. Yush, Sounds yush. like she's kind of a junkie and a people user. That definitely seems to be her M.O. Yeah. I also like, I don't know if you noticed this. I, I never noticed this in this movie until this watch, um, which is um, Manuela and Agrado are walking through the square on their way to the nun place. The nun place. The, the, <laughs> the like, nunnery? Yeah. The nun place, you know. Yeah. You've been to a nun place, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm Jewish. I don't know what the fuck you people call your stuff. Anyway, get thee to a nun place. Um, there's Nunnery. a woman kind of like... I was say a covent, but no, it's, it's a convent, not a covent. There's this like classic old Spanish woman dressed in like all black and with her like shopping cart behind her that they pass as they're walking to the nun place. And um, as they walk past her, she just, like, stops and turns and stares. And she just stares the entire time the scene goes on. And, like, they're walking away from her, and she's just, like, behind them getting further and further away as the scene progresses and they're walking away. But you can still see her in the background a little bit behind her, just, like, staring that's interesting. I did not notice that. Um, but it is interesting because she would be like kind of the only person in this movie that doesn't um, have right. this, I, this like sort of completely normalized attitude. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was wondering. I was, what, what went on in my brain was like, okay, everyone else in the square is acting normally. 
and it's because like you know this is uh this is where the nunnery is where people uh you know where hookers come to get help so it would be perfectly normal for all kinds of people to be coming in and out of this square to get help so nobody notices like anything you, you know like it doesn't matter what kind of person is walking around this square nobody would notice except maybe a conservative older catholic spanish lady who would stop and stare and be like oh que estranya you know like mm, yeah i mean that's sort of like a representation of the past or, that you had just mentioned it earlier in the spot or everyone else in the scene was an extra and this was just an old real Spanish woman <laughs> who was walking on her way home with her groceries and didn't know there was a film being shot and just stopped and was like, oh, what is this happening here? Is someone shooting a Hollywood movie? Perhaps The Rock will show up. I know it's 1999 and he's not really a thing yet, but maybe I'll get in on that fat early. Oh, The Rock. This is getting really weird, Dave. <laughs> well, you know, I was, just, I was just like wondering. I was like, I wonder which it voice? is. Um, was the Rock? Why would she even know who the Rock was as like an old lady in Spain? Is is like the WWE really like big in among the elderly population in Spain at this time? I don't know, Erin. Maybe she's a time <laughs> traveler. Maybe it's like Looper. That's what it is. This movie is like Looper and so many ways you really opened my eyes to that she's an auteur Aaron. what do i know anyway i just I, <laughs> and you know what this podcast is kind of like a looper like when we do this again like in a few days <laughs> oh my god it's 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 um, off the rails anyway um so sister rose is helping out now she's nice of she's, course she's nice she's perfectly nice she's too nice she's a nun or she wants to go to nun? are there um, levels of nun She's an NIT. Then where does she want to go? Honduras? El Salvador? El Salvador. She wants to go to El Salvador and get murdered. Yeah, well, I, I do speak Spanish well enough to know that she mentions, uh, not that they're, it's translated as war, but she doesn't say guerra, war. She says guerrita, which means they're having a little, little war. Little war? They're having a little war. She's having a little war. Well, the first thing she talks about is going somewhere where people are getting murdered, and then she, in fact, dies. Yeah, well, you can, can die anywhere. Manuela knows about that, doesn't she? What do you mean? Because of her, her son, son hey. being dead. Wow, that's so funny, Dave. That's a really great joke. Thank you. So... Rosa tries to get Manuela a job with her mom, but Rosa's mom is a huge bitch and thinks Manuela is a prostitute. Not entirely without reason, but, you know. She's like the bitch version of Manuela, also, just the way she looks. Actually, I was going to say she looks a lot like Lily Tomlin. Okay, I, do you, I guess. Do you see it? Do you not see yeah. it? Yeah, no, I guess I see it. I more meant just, like, her styling and her hair color. Just, like, she just looks... I don't know. They're both these stark blonde characters. Mm, all right. So anyway, uh, Rosa, though, she doesn't feel so hot. So, you know, maybe she should get looked at. Streetcar Named Desire has moved on from Madrid. It's playing in Barcelona now. And Manuela goes to see it again, looping back around. 
she has a she goes backstage. She has a chat with Humorojo. I guess nobody's watching the fucking door. That's also a nod to All About Eve. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a lot of nods to this movie, to, to the movie All About Eve, especially with Huma's storyline. Okay. Man, I guess I should have watched All About Eve. Yeah, you anyway. kind of uh, fucked up, Dave. I guess I did. Well, so Humorojo and Nina are having a bit of a, a lover's quarrel because Nina evidently has a heroin problem. Yeah. And so Huma's like, can you drive me around and help me find where Nina might be trying to score heroin? And Manuela's like, of course I can. Of course. Because I'm good at everything. Because? Because she's good at everything and she wants to help people. She just wants to help people. Also, Huma's like, hello, random lady. Like, yes, can you help me with this very intimate problem that I have? Well, Erin, she's always depended on the kindness of strangers. The kindness of strangers. Is that, like, I I know that's from something. Is it from Streetcar Named Desire? It is from Streetcar Named Desire, Mm -hmm. yes. And so uh, Manuela does this task for her. And then she goes home. I'm sorry, can we back up for a minute? Um, When she does this favor... For Huma, she, like, wanders the street talking to, like, all sorts of, you know, shady characters, tracks down this girl, and then the girl, like, immediately goes into the car, slams the door, and drives off, leaving Manuela without her purse. Like, she is not a good, not a good egg, that one. No, Nina sucks. But, you know, heroin addiction makes you selfish. Yeah. Anyway, ding dong, Rose is pregnant, and Lola's the father? What? Oh, shit. Yeah. Manuela's a little pissed about this. She is. It's the only time you see her angry, the whole movie, and not just like the calm, serene mother figure. Yeah. Well, she gets mad at Lola at the end, too. Right, but, anything uh, Lola related. Yeah, she doesn't she gets mad about Lola. But Lola has it coming. But then she's also nice to to her at the end. I don't know. That's true. She gets a job offer from Huma. Would you like to be my personal assistant slash fixer? This is weird on so many levels. <laughs> you know. It's true. But you know, <laughs> sure, roll with it. Um We also go to the doctor with Rosa and we get the whole Lola backstory. Namely, Lola has the worst qualities of both men and women, Mm. which does not sound like a great, uh, great person to me. Um, Also, apparently, women will accept anything to avoid being alone. Aaron, as a representative of your entire gender, you must now answer this question. Is Manuela telling the truth i obviously can't answer for everyone i don't feel that way i'm happy and fine being single i do agree with what uh what rosa says afterwards uh being that women are just more tolerant and that is a good thing pedro almodovar full of shit says erin put it on the poster yeah i don't know i it is a noticeable line 
<laughs> yeah. I was just like, hmm. As is Rose's, res- Rose's responses also. Interesting. Well, you know, they're having a they're having a debate, basically. The way Manuela makes Lola sound, Lola sounds like a real kind of a brute, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, uh, while at the doctor, Rosa asks for an AIDS test. Hang on to that. So they're back at the show, and Nina flakes out because she's all high on horse. Can't do the show. Nope. Manuela volunteers to sub in for her because she knows all the lines. Mm-hmm. Huma asks her, can you act? And Manuela says, well, I can lie very convincingly, <laughs> which might be my favorite line from the entire thing. And she's good. Um, she is good. This is also a direct, uh, I mean, this is where they actually mention all about Eve. I mean, it's like, you're just like Eve Harrington. Yes. Um, I mean, it is a little bit, and I, I actually do understand Nina in this moment because in the well, movie, it, all about yeah. it, it's a little bit strange. She's like, oh, yeah, no problem. I actually have uh, the entire part memorized and like yeah. I'm ready to go. It's who no is problem. this strange woman who has insinuated <laughs> herself? She just came out of nowhere, insinuated herself into your life, knows all the lines of the play, and then just, like, subs in and does it, and she's great at it somehow. She just says she learned the lines from listening, the whole play, the whole part, and she's great. What the fuck is going on here? I mean, she's she's got a point. Yeah. She's got a point. Correct. Yeah. And Manuela yep. lets the whole story drop, and it's just so... <laughs> such melodrama. Yeah, it's like they could never have guessed that. No. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> so what's really going on here? Well, you see. Good God. But, you know. Anyway, uh, ding dong. Rosa has HIV. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> ding dong. Hello? Yeah, yeah it's me. It's me Rosa. I have HIV. Door. Um, it's okay. Uh, Manuela yeah. puts two and two together because Lola has been shooting heroin for 15 years, you see. How does she know that? Because she knows Lola. Yeah, but she left Lola 18 years ago. Well, I mean, she's been talking to a grotto, though. Ah. Yeah, so all right, she's like, okay, Rosa, you can move in now. I will take care of you. I think you've got enough on your plate now that maybe I will let you move in. Um, Fine. Yeah. But we'll say we're sisters. Yeah. But meanwhile, streetcar's in trouble because Nina's hooked on junk. But Huma's hooked on Nina. Mm-hmm. Oh. She wants Manuela to come back, but Manuela's got her hands full caring for Rosa now. But she suggests that maybe a grotto can take her place. That seems like a good situation. That could work out. Sure. And so we get this really nice scene of just like, just like a ladies' afternoon. It looks like they're ha- all having a wonderful time. Oh my god! They're just like just, all the ladies having so much fun. You can really feel the warmth. It's very estrogenal. Yeah, definitely. Totes, totes. 
But uh, in this moment, too, you get a quick scene of Huma talking to Rosa for a second. And I got to just say, Rosa, learn some goddamn discretion. Oh, my God. I know. What yeah. the fuck? I Honestly, thought she was what like, the fuck? I, I don't know much about nuns, but I don't think she is supposed to do that. Well, clearly she's not a good nun, Erin. <laughs> she fucked one of her prostitute takearees. And got pregnant. Yeah. She's a bad nun. (laughs) All right, fair enough. The last thing she says to Huma, when Huma's like, what else did Manuela say after all this other stuff, all this incredibly private, detailed information about me that Manuela has told you? What else did she say? Rose is like, she said not to tell you. God damn it, Rosa. <laughs> this is the scene I was talking about that I wanted to bring up when referencing Penelope Cruz's acting because um, she delivers all of this. It's, it's pretty funny how much she just like info dumps all over Huma about Manuela and what Manuela knows about Huma and about everything and about everything that's going on. And she does it with this sort of like blank faced sincerity. And it would be easy to dismiss it as her doing nothing or as her being actually blank in the scene. But what I would argue she is actually doing is that she is embodying this like very childlike innocence and naivete uh, in Rosa that... um, you know, she has throughout the course of the entire movie, but particularly in this scene. So, like, this just staring straight ahead, childlike innocence, just telling her everything straight out. She has no guile whatsoever, you know? And so I laugh yeah. and I make fun of her, and I'm like, learn some fucking discretion, Rosa. But at the same time, like, Rosa is not the kind of person who ever would learn discretion. Like, right, and she'll never get the chance, sadly. I know. But, um... <laughs> You know, uh, so this I I would point to this scene as one where it's easy to think that she isn't doing a lot, but she actually she's just doing something that's very subtle. And so I don't want it to get lost. And so. Right. No. And and um, I did kind of find a, a, a deeper appreciation for her in this uh, for Penelope Cruz in this role. Um after um, having the time because of all the time that this podcast has taken to record, having the time to reflect on, on things you had said in the past. Anyway. So after a very pleasant girls afternoon of champagne and ice cream or whatever the fuck Where they were eating. Puma is just like, who's this stranger? A grotto? Absolutely. Let's do it. You seem great. Well, I no, they they're they're leaving in the elevator, and Huma's like, "So, what's your story?" And Agrada says, "I used to be a truck driver in Paris. Then I got my tits. Then I became a whore. How interesting! <laughs> I mean, that is interesting. To be fair, uh, it's incredibly interesting. Yeah, um, and now she's taking on this new role. So." Huma and Nina wind up being indisposed for a show. But don't worry, because Agrado's here. 
she decides to put on a quick autobiographical one woman monologue show, which is normally the kind of thing I would not be super into. But it seems like it uh, goes over pretty well. I would definitely watch a Grotto's one woman show. Like 100%. I'd pay good money to see it. I mean, it was interesting for the like five minutes of it that we got. I don't know if she could have sustained it for the uh, two and a half hours that Streetcar is supposed to run. But, uh, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty fun for what we saw. I mean, what's interesting about Agrado is that she is trying to move past this this part of her life where she um, was working as like a sex worker and she's had all these different parts of her life and she's trying to move forward and she kind of keeps getting pulled back into these roles and reminded of these roles that she had in her past. I don't know. And I think it's her doing a one woman show is sort of a way for her to show how much progress she's actually made. I mean, she's still getting sexually harassed by like everyone all the time. Yeah, um, we did pass over the uh, guy who plays Stanley does. Who's just like, yo, just like a quick blowjob though. Can I mean, I, like, can, can I get come a on, just like a little blowjob. Just like I'm a really little on one. edge. Can I, can I get a blowjob? And I feel like, especially with the grotto, you kind of feel like the central theme being, um, you know, with the roles that you play staying with you and being part of sort of this rich tapestry of your own, of your identity. Um, well, so I do think that the, the monologue that she gives is kind of this thesis statement because she talks about, uh, it's all about authenticity, right? So she talks about how there's all these different parts of her body that she has purchased and they are made of silicone and are ostensibly fake. But from her perspective, they these are the realest things about her because she has put in the work and the time and the effort in order to uh, manifest herself and her body and her being into the vision of herself that she always saw in her own mind that, you know, thereby, you know, you can say that, you know, there, the parts of her body are not real, but she is actually, she has done everything possible and put in the work in order to make her the realest version of herself that she could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very cool, interesting monologue, the monologue all about being, you know, about authenticity. authenticity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. I would stay for that show. I would. Well, Rosa, meanwhile, is off to have this baby. She has a final meeting with her dad and her dog in the park. Dad doesn't recognize her. Oh. Yeah. The dog does, though. Oh. Yeah. Cute dog. Cute dog. And then she fucking dies. Yeah. Did you see that coming? Yeah, she had mm. AIDS. Well, but she, she died in childbirth, though. Yeah. I mean, I did see it coming. Yeah, me too. That uh, that scene in the park kind of gave you a bit of a flag for that. Lola shows up, though. We finally meet Lola. Yeah. What did you think of this? Um, I thought that Curly hair doesn't really work for Manuela. Not <laughs> <first of> all. <laughs> at all. I don't know 
why, I'm sorry, I, I do tend to notice stylistic choices in terms of fashion and hair in movies. I don't know why they chose to have Manuela have curly hair for this scene. This sure, is, the passage of time. I, I suppose, but there's lots of passage of time in this movie. I feel like there just doesn't seem to be not that much time passed. Just like in Looper. <sighs> just like Looper. This movie is just like a remake of, nope, nope. Looper it's would a be a remake of, of Looper. It's a remake of Looper. That's right. I don't know. I, I thought it was an emotional scene. What did you think of Lola? I mean, it didn't really. Lola, Lola seems she's like she is a vain junkie. And she knows this about herself and just like can't stop herself. Yeah, I guess. But also, I mean, like she didn't exactly seem like the brute that Manuela described. But I guess that's sort of because she's at the end of her life. She's at the end of her life. She's at a funeral. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Boy, does Manuela get a line in on her, though. You aren't a human being, Lola. You're an epidemic. Yeah. Lola mentions that she always dreamed of having a son. And so that's when Manuela lays it on her. Lays it all on her. Oof. Oof. Oh, my. And, uh, yeah, and so then we start heading into the denouement of the movie. We find out that Manuela has adopted Rose's baby. The baby is HIV positive, and Manuela is attempting to raise it with Rose's parents, but the situation's untenable. Uh, Rose's dad has Alzheimer's and isn't entirely there. Rose's mom is awful. So I mean, she's trying her best to no, accept the terrible situation. She has to take care of her. You know, she has her role of being a, a wife, um, where she has to take care of her invalid husband. Yeah, okay, but Rose's mom wants to keep the baby's HIV status a secret, is terrified of the baby because she's worried like anything about touching it or like she's basically terrified of catching HIV from the baby. And so like, won't deal with it naturally and calls Lola a monster when Manuela brings the baby to visit Lola one last time before Lola's going to die. Okay. I mean, you bring up some good points there. However, if I saw the person that caused my daughter's death, I would probably also call them a monster. But that well, being said, everything else is pretty not great. Also, call, calling Lola a monster might not be entirely uh, confined to the fact that it was because Lola caused Rosa's death. It could also be because Rosa is uh, because Lola is trans. Certainly, but. And Rose's point. mom has been a huge bitch from the moment Manuela has encountered her. She's not great to Manuela. I'll give you that. Or they anyone. Kind of she wasn't like great friends. to Rosa. They become, they become friends towards the end of Rosa's uh, pregnancy. I don't think they do. When Rosa's mom comes to visit during the pregnancy, she she says, she's like, I don't know where I went wrong with Rosa. She's always just been like an alien to me. 
I don't remember that one, but, but you also have to remember that she, you know, she's grieving the loss of her daughter who died from childbirth and AIDS and she I died don't even in know. Yeah. I mean, I guess she died in childbirth, but, um, she's grieving that loss untimely loss of her daughter and she's also having to take care of uh her husband she's playing the role of having to be this dutiful wife um that's got to be a heartbreaking and terribly hard for her but also is really like a full-time job you know i don't, I don't know if you've yes had any is. experience with that kind of thing but it i mean it's it's unbelievably unbelievably taxing um emotionally and mentally uh so just i'm not i'm not certainly not excusing all of her behavior i'm just saying that she has struggles that she's also dealing with in this movie okay okay yeah that's that's fair the end result though is that um Manuela does feel that the situation is untenable. She takes the baby and she goes back to Madrid. So she goes to Madrid, stays for two years, and then comes back two years later to Barcelona to visit her little ersatz family of Agrado and Humarojo, who are putting up a new show up in Barcelona. And that's basically the end except for the fact that we find out that Nina's doing okay. Uh, she's not with Huma anymore, but she went home, got married, had an ugly baby. And also apparently the kid... Ugly, ugly baby. I love a grotto. <laughs> yeah. And the kid doesn't show any signs of having HIV anymore. Okay, a little magical thinking there, Pedro Almodovar. Um, you're, you're kind of... You're, you have it a little bit skewed. There's more magical thinking um, sorry, she she comes back two years later. She's like, the baby is cured from HIV. And mm -hmm. no, I can't stay with you because I'm staying with Rose's parents because they're miraculously like they've changed so much. And now they're they're so accepting and perfect and everything is great. You forgot mm -hmm. that little piece of magical thinking. And Lola's died. And Lola's dead. Yeah. So everything is great. Yeah. Well, anyway, and so everything is great, and that's the end. And that's the end. And the movie, uh, the movie, I keep saying movie, the show that they are doing is very much sort of inspired by losing a child. It's like, again, yeah, art it's, imitating it's basically, life, imitating art, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's basically the Manuela show. They, like, stole yeah. her life. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this dedication at the end, too which uh, I can read. Um, yes. It ends with, to all actresses who have played actresses, to all women who act, to men who act and become women, to all the people who want to become mothers, to my mother. Yes. And I guess it should, I should mention, as a meta fact, um, uh, Pedro Almodovar's mother was uh, dying when he made this movie. Oh, I see. And that's the end so that's the it is a happy ending which is great yeah so uh in the end what'd you think in the end of the movie in general yeah um i think i thought it was very interesting it has layers um 
and makes you think. I mean, especially, I really, I really did think a lot about, you know, the title after seeing all about Eve and the sort of connection to that. Um, and I know you haven't seen all about Eve. That's fine. Um, go ahead. You should go, you should go watch that, but I don't want to give the movie away either. Um, because That's, I don't care about spoilers. There is a lot of surprise elements, I guess, spoiler Spoiler to the fan out there. Um, you know, this movie is about um, an actress, an older actress who is mentoring this young actress that comes on the scene out of nowhere. You know, a relationship that's very similar to Umar, Uma and um, Nina. And then, you know, this actress just seems like the, the nicest, most wonderful person and ends up playing, you know, the lead in this in this show in very similar circumstances to what happens in, um, in all about my mother. And then you find out later that she's actually like this terrible evil person that's been acting as like a nice. She's usurping wonderful, her. Wonderful person. Yes. But she's actually just like this sort of con artist. And that is the big spoiler at the end. Um, so I, yeah, but everybody like, knows that about all about Eve. Fair I mean, I, I haven't didn't. seen it, but like that's, I didn't, I didn't know that. I mean, I don't know. Spoilers for like a sixty-year-old movie, I guess. Anyways, but the you know the idea is that she's playing kind of role on role on role on role, and that I think is the major sort of theme of this movie is just all the roles that we play. And I do think it's really interesting the way he kind of shows this theme of all the different roles we play. It's very unique, and it's um, it's it's interesting just the way that Manuela is constantly having to act these characters that she then is, you know, the, the way that she is sitting and watching a streetcar named desire and kind of watching, you know, that scene where she's holding the baby and Lola had played Kowalski. Is that the, the guy's name? Yes. Yeah, Stanley in the Kowalski play. and streetcar, streetcar named desire. Right. So she's sort of watching, this unfold this thing that happened in her real life constantly like all these just nods back to um these different roles we play and in this kind of very creative way that you kind of have to think a lot about to see all the different ways that he's he's um pushing this idea home um so yeah i thought it was very interesting i really liked it what did you think about the um the styling like the outfits and the um the sets like the the apartments the the you know the, the places where they were to me were very psychedelic you have all those really brightly colored vases you have that wallpaper um the outfits to me were very psychedelic the whole thing kind of read to me more like a 60s 70s vibe i thought the outfits were very bright um <laughs> And you know how I always tend to notice when people are kind of wearing the same thing? There's a lot of repetition. Um, there's one scene that I'm thinking of now where both like Rosa and Huma are wearing these like, like almost identical red petticoats. And I thought that was like an interesting choice. I always notice that because um, I do think it's usually deliberate and the use of red in general red and black and turtlenecks lots of dude loves his red yes um i gotta say 
Puma is not, she should not be a redhead <laughs> or she should yeah. have someone else. I did not care for her hairstyling. Uh, um, some of that might have been for her as uh, Blanche, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Although that would have been just a, that probably would have just been a wig while she was on stage. But, but yeah, no, I, I thought the, that it was a joy to watch. Um, I enjoyed the styling very much. Well, good. And some of the cinematography, um, just to call out, yeah, I loved, absolutely loved that scene with the um, the prostitutes playing patty cake. Um, I also enjoyed that pencil where in the beginning, Creepy Son is writing in his journal and you just see like the tip of the pencil. I thought that was creative. Um, also, the scene when Manuela is running towards her dying son, the way that it's tilted. Mm. Other interesting shots. So there's like, I don't know, some creative and interesting, um, you know, ways that he, he shoots his scenes. And I appreciate that as well. Well, yeah. this movie was obviously very successful in Spain. It was a big success here in the United States too. Uh, he won the best foreign film Oscar with this movie. And uh, I don't want to say it caused him to break out in the United States because, you know, anyone who anyone who knew anything already knew who Almodovar was in the U.S. But like this film was pretty huge here in a way that I don't think his films really had been previously in the U.S. Mm. And uh, he went on a pretty big run after this uh so it did to a certain extent he did kind of break out in the u.s because of this uh so i i still think that this is my favorite of his films but he does have a bunch of others that i like quite a bit uh if you are gonna check him out some more um i particularly like volver women on the verge of a nervous breakdown laws of desire um yeah, I, th- I think those would be my tops if you were going to check them out. But he has, yeah, he has so many movies. He's very prolific. So definitely yeah. give him more of a look if you liked this movie. I did like this movie, Dave. I just it, – it's not yet my favorite movie. Well, give it time. Let it percolate a little bit. I will. I will let uh, it percolate. So, Aaron – Last question. Would you say that this movie was better late or never? I think you know the answer to that. Well, let's define our terms because better late means that this movie was somehow critical and your movie watching life. It filled a hole that needed to be filled and you're now better off for having seen it. Whereas never means you could have gone your whole life without ever having seen this film. And that would have been just fine. I'm going to say better late. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, better late. Absolutely. I'm happy to sort of be exposed to this director and his unique auteur vision. And cool. Yeah. Right on. Well, I'm glad to have been the one to expose you to him. I'm glad that uh, you finally know what his movies look like. And hopefully, this will be just the uh, first of many that you uh that you wind up watching 
So yeah, if you yeah. ever want to do another one for the pod, you let me know. Oh, I will. I will. Yeah. Well, Aaron, it was great recording this pod with you. It was even better recording it a second time. Mm-hmm. So you uh, want to do this again in like a couple of days or? Yeah. Let's just keep looping ad infinitum. Let's just keep, let's just keep looping it. Yeah. Let's, 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 let's just keep on looping. And, um, Thank you very much for appearing on the season two finale of Better Late Than Never. I'd be offended if I wasn't on the finale. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind next year for the season three finale. And uh, we do every- um, All About My Mother 2. Yes, All About My Mother 2, Electric Boogaloo, will be <laughs> the season season two or season three finale. Season three finale. Sure. What kind of yeah, fun stuff to, you uh, got? I'll write to Almodovar to make sure he gets on that right away. Right. We need you to put this out in a year. I'm sure he'll be open to it. Yeah, who knows? It, yeah, he, I, I, at this point, he can kill off the second kid. That's true. Yeah. Cycles. It's all about the cycles. Oh my God, it's all about cycles. It's all about the cycles. Jesus, we're, we're fucking brilliant. Yep. Um, Okay, well, for all of you listening out there, and I know you are out there, fan, uh, if you want to get in touch with us here at the podcast, please email betterlatethannevepod at gmail.com or tweet at betterlate underscore pod. That is all we have for this week and for this season of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Keep your eyes peeled for news about season three. And I will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.